going to be in the uh, first, let's see, I'll, t- I'll tell you just a second. Matthew. Chapter 1, starting in verse 18, and we're going to read down through 24, 25, 24, actually 23, I'll get it right, 23, I'm just messing with you, just seeing if you're paying attention. Right, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, this is what it says. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, in case you're uh, wondering. This is what it says. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. Pray with me this morning. Father God, we just thank you again for for the opportunity to be here to worship together collectively as uh, the church. And I just pray this morning as we open your word and as we read and as we study, uh, God, that you just fill this place with your spirit, just uh, move through this place, convict us, Father, of our need for Jesus. And I pray this morning that we would just see ourselves for who we are in light of who you are. And then we would just see our need for Jesus. And that's my prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Having kids is awesome, right? But if I'm honest with you this morning, having kids is something that you're really never prepared for. You know what I'm talking about? You guys that have kids, you know what I'm talking about? Never really prepared for it, right? I mean, let's be honest. The actual part of trying to have kids, it's fun, right? I can say that, right? Paul, is that, is that good to say? Can I say that? Okay. I just said it, so. And, and even, listen, and even the events leading up to uh, having your first kid, man, they can be fun, right? I mean, uh, think about just being able to sit down with your spouse and, and flip through baby name books and put together, uh, you know, variations of names and thinking about your family and what kind of names you want to name your kid. I mean, it's all fun, right? And then thinking about, you know, picking out the furniture for the baby room, I mean, it's a lot of fun. Putting together the furniture may be not so much fun. That may be from the devil, actually, I think, right? But, but picking out the furniture is fun. Uh, man, decorating the baby room, right? That's fun. Picking out paint colors and picking out themes. You know, we're going to go with this theme or that theme or whatever. That's fun stuff. That's fun stuff. And then, and then the day approaches, man, for the baby to make its exit, okay, into this world, and, uh, and that, that's a fun and exciting time. I mean, you're, you're waiting with excitement and anticipation. You get to the hospital, man, and you get checked in. And it's like a whirlwind. It really is. And, I mean, you, you, get, you get very little sleep, and you're excited. And then the baby comes, right? And it's so, so much fun. Like, you start 
taking pictures and posting pictures on Facebook and grandparents like come and uh, invade your space and uh, want to hold the baby and all this and that. And it's, it's a lot of fun, right? And so you're sitting there in the hospital and you're thinking, man, this is awesome. This is awesome. And this is what's awesome about the hospital. Listen, if, if you've never had kids before, if you haven't had kids, this is, this is what's awesome about the hospital, okay? You get to the hospital and they put you in this room and the nurses for like the next day and a half, two days, actually take care of the baby for you. Like, I'm sitting there, and, and, and when we had Jude, and they would actually come, and they would say, we will take the baby from you and put it in the nursery with the other babies while you sleep. I'm like, okay, that's awesome. Yeah, let's do that. This is, this is sweet. They will come into your room, and they will actually bathe the baby for you. So I'm sitting there watching them, because I, I never bathed the baby before, and I'm sitting there watching the nurse, and she's like, like being like kind of rough. And I'm like, you, know, you sure you know what you're doing? <laughs> you know? She's a nurse. She knows what she's doing. But I was like, stop. I mean, they bathe the baby. They, they, they'll, they'll dress the baby. I mean, they do all these things, right? So you're in the hospital, and you're like, okay, okay. But then the day comes where you've actually got to load the baby up in the car. And you've got this little baby that weighs eight, nine pounds, seven pounds, whatever it is. And you take him out in the car seat, and you load him up in the car, and that's when it kind of gets real. You're kind of like, are you serious? You're going to actually let me take this baby home with me? <laughs> like, are you sure about this? Like, I have no idea what I am doing. And so you get home, and you're like, this baby is home with us. This baby is with us. He's with us. And that is the message of the Christmas story this morning. That is the message of the Christmas story, that God is with us, that he came in the flesh and he dwelt among us. And what I want you to know this morning, man, is that God is not some distant God who is unconcerned about his creation, who is unconcerned about his people, but yet God is very much concerned. God is in the details. God is in the details of every one of our lives. And that's the message of the Christmas story this morning. And my prayer this morning is that if we could just take the next few minutes and try to attempt to wrap our brains around the love that God has for us, I really believe that it would just change our lives this morning. I really believe that. And listen, I know, I know that it's tough, man. If we could just consider this morning the wonder and mystery of the incarnation. The incarnation is simply God with us. God in the flesh. If we could just block out all the distractions, and I know that's hard, man. I know that this time of year, man, there is so much going on. We've got our calendars fill up. I know there's things going on at home. I mean, I can tell you right now, this morning, I've already had to lay down discipline in my house this morning. I mean, it's like 7 o'clock in the morning, I'm having to tell my son, like, what's up, dude? All right? What's up? So I know the distractions in here this morning, okay? And I just, man, if we could just dial it in for the next few minutes. And just simply rest in the gospel and the good news that Jesus Christ is here, that he dwells among us, that he, he put on flesh. I, I believe it could change our lives. And you see, while it is usually the cross that we turn, turn our attention to consider the love of God, we, we must recognize this morning that someone has said that the wood of the cradle, the wood of the manger, and the wood of the cross are the same. And the cradle was the first step to the cross. So what God has done for us through Jesus Christ 
is absolutely amazing. And, and I'm going to read some scripture this morning, and I want you to follow along with me. So I've, I've, I've helped you out, and I've actually put it up on... Can you guys see that? Can you guys see that down there? Because I'm looking at it up there, and it's kind of like blurry to me. But, um, so, so, but I want you guys to follow along with me, okay? And I want you to see what God has done for us this morning, okay? So John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says this. This is John's gospel. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not, was not anything that was made. And then jump down to verse 14, and it says, And the Word, being Jesus, became flesh, and he dwelt among us. What I want you to see this morning is the extent of what Jesus went through for us. You see, Jesus' existence didn't begin with birth or at conception. But Jesus pre-existed creation. From the beginning, before the creation of the world was ever formed, God, Jesus was God, God himself. Read Colossians 1.15. Put that up on the screen there. I love this, this verse here. It says, He... He being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So Jesus, who is God, took on flesh. He became fully, truly human without ceasing to be fully, truly human. Divine. Now, I, I, I cannot wrap my brain around that. I don't know if you can or not, but that's hard to wrap my brain around. In order for this to happen, in order for Jesus to take on flesh and become fully human meant that there had to be some limitations. All right? There had to be some, some limitations. So when Jesus came, it meant that he had limitations of time, space, knowledge, and power. And of course, Jesus coming in the flesh meant that he was mortal like us, that he, he could die. He experienced sadness. He experienced hunger. He experienced tiredness. Jesus experienced all the things that you and I experience here on earth. And the writer of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, says this. Since then, we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, uh, explains this process of, of Jesus coming to earth and leaving, uh, put, putting on flesh. In Philippians chapter 2, when he writes this, he says, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. What I want you to see is that Jesus was not subordinate to God, but was equal to God, and yet he willingly submitted himself to the Father during his incarnation, during his time here on earth, as obedient son. See, Paul, saw, Paul also writes in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and he says, Jesus was rich, but for our sakes he became poor. He came to earth, he put on flesh, so that in him we might become rich. Listen, listen this morning, okay? The fact that God was willing to stoop to identifying with man in the, in, in the incarnation is absolutely 
amazing. It shows us how much God cares for us. It shows us how much He loves us. Do you realize that there are no other religions in this world, no other religion in this world that would dare, dare say that their God would stoop down and identify with humans, with their people? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Why then did Jesus come to us in the flesh? What was Jesus' purpose? You see, God created us, and he has ultimate authority over everything. He is in charge, and because he created us, he has the right to set the standard or make the rules by which we live. And we need to understand that the commands of God are good. We oftentimes look at the commands of God, and we oftentimes look at the law of God as kind of like this this, uh, moral prison that we must live in if we want to follow God. Right, I mean, I got, we got teenagers in here this morning, right? If I asked you guys this morning, I just woke them up. I just woke every teenager in here. I said teenager, and they're like, what, what? If I asked you this morning about the law of God or the command of God, you, you would kind of view that as a, a moral prison. That this is what, you know, God kind of restricts us, you know, these commands he puts on us. And what I want you to understand this morning is, and we'll teach on this more in the future, but, but, but the law of God is actually good. It's actually good. You see, the, 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 the teachings of God on sex and money and family and all those things are not God trying to rob you of joy, but rather it's him leading you into an ever-increasing joy. You see, God knows what he's doing. God created these things. He knows what's good for us and what's not. So he set up boundaries for us. But because of sin, man, we tend to look at those boundaries. We tend to look at those things. We want to kind of push the edge and think, well, if I go a little bit further, that looks good. And God is saying, no, 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 I created it for this purpose. I created it for this purpose, and we like to take that outside of that purpose. See, our our culture doesn't like to hear that message. We want to make our own standard of righteousness. We want to set our own standard of living. So let me explain it this way to you, okay? How many of you drive? Uh, and uh, how many of you drive 60 miles per hour in a 60 mile per hour zone? If the speed limit is 60 miles an hour, how many of you actually drive 60 miles per hour? Raise your hand. I don't. I know I don't. Listen, <laughs> Russell just called me out like that. I know I don't. Huh? Oh, oh, I thought it was, man, you got, okay. Hey, sh- you can't be, can't be saying that stuff in church, man, Okay. I do have a confession to make. I, I did get a ticket on a youth trip one time in a, in a church van. I did. It, it did. That was, uh, it was a scary thing. It was on 460, though, so it was, it was anyways, there I am trying to justify. See, there I am. So, so here, here's, I, I'm making my point, okay? I'm making my point here. You ready? All right, here, here's the deal. So how, how about 65? If the speed limit is 60, how many of you go 65? All right, most of us in here. Anybody, anybody push it to 67? How about 70? We have any 70s? Yeah, we got some 70s in it. I won't go any higher than that, okay? But listen, if you drive over 60, which I do, I'm in that, I'm in that category, okay? The law, then it's speeding. It's speeding. The law says 60, but in our minds, we may think that 65 is okay. That's what I tell my wife. It's okay as long as I'm in control of the car, right? It's okay. It's okay. The point here is not about speeding, but rather we tend to create our own idea of the law and what is okay. Instead of seeing 60 as absolute, we see it as a suggestion. 
And we tend to do this with the Bible. Instead of viewing it as absolute, we create our own idea of what's okay. But here's the problem with that, okay? Is that everyone has their own standard and idea of what's okay. The point, and the problem with that is, is man, if you do that, then who's right and who's wrong? You see, the point of the law is to show us that we are flawed people. It's to show us that we fall short of God's holiness and righteousness. It's to show us that we need Jesus. The point of the law is to point us to Jesus. But if we keep changing what the law is, if we keep adding to it or, or saying, well, it's not really this or that, if we, if we keep changing the standard, then we can think that we're not as bad as we really are, Right? Well, I'm not that bad. But the reality this morning is that if we could save ourselves, then Jesus wouldn't have had to leave the glories of heaven and come to earth and dwell among us in the flesh. So there is no system of government. There's no level of education. There is absolutely nothing on this earth that will cure what has gone wrong with us, and that's sin. There's nothing on this earth that that will cure that. And the beautiful thing about the Word of God is it's going to shoot us straight with what's gone wrong with us. You see, Psalm, uh, Psalm 14.3 says this. It says, They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. <clears throat> there is none who does good, not even one. And again, our problem with this is we like to continually compare ourselves to other people. Even those who are not good believe they are good, Right? How many times have you compared yourself to someone and silently said, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person? You know? Or at least I'm not as, I don't do that. Parents, how many times have you heard your teenager say, well, so-and-so is doing this or that? You know? We like to compare. We like to say, match ourselves up against other people. And see, the problem with comparison is we are comparing ourselves to fallen, broken people just like us. <clears throat> We always, we will always find someone that, is, that we are better than. But matched up against the holiness of God, the Bible says we are like filthy rags. Filthy rags. Proverbs 20, verse 9 says, Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Now, now the writer of that, that's a statement. That's not a question. Like, there's not somebody raising their hand going, Ooh, ooh, that's me, that's me, I can do that. King David wrote, uh, Psalm 51, after he had committed the sin with Bathsheba and had Bathsheba's husband Uriah murdered, and this is what he writes in Psalm 51. He says, Surely I was brought forth in sin. Which means this. This is important. It means that your environment doesn't make you a bad person. Your environment is the fertilizer that makes the bad in you grow. It's not your environment that has perverted you, it's your perversion that has perverted you. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with that? All right? I'll give you an example. Sometimes when Jude, our oldest, is, is struggling with listening and obeying, or if he's thrown a temper tantrum because he didn't get his way, Robin and I will tend to make excuses for him. We'll sit there on the couch and we'll say, well, you know, he didn't have his nap today. You know, he, he didn't have his nap. He's tired. You know, he, he's been going hard all day, this and that. He's been overstimulated. We sit there and we try to make excuses for his behavior. We try to blame it on other things. When the reality of it is, the reason why Jude acted the way he is is because of what's inside him. 
Now, the environment may have helped. The environment probably helped that and brought that out, but the environment didn't cause that. You guys get what I'm saying? Does that make sense? You guys agree or disagree? I mean, if you can disagree, you're just wrong. That's all. That's all. That's all. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We are broken to begin with, and our, our, our environment simply fertilizes that brokenness. Romans 3.23 says, For all have fallen short of the glory of God. What I want you to see this morning is from these texts is that every one of us has one thing in common. It's not our color. It's not our background. It's not our socioeconomic grid. But what every one of us has in common this morning is that we are all sinners and capable of doing what's right. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. And God's response to our rebellion God's response to our rebellion is nothing short of amazing. It's Jesus. It's grace. It's mercy. He sends us Jesus in the flesh, God with us. Galatians 4.4 is an awesome, awesome passage. If you want to write that down. Galatians is a great book, by the way. And, uh, but this is what Galatians 4.4 says. Listen to this. He says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law in order that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. See, like every person on this planet, Jesus came to earth. He was born under the law. Like every person on this planet, Jesus was under the obligation to obey and to be judged according to God's written law in the Old Testament. But unlike every person on this planet, Jesus satisfied the requirements of the law by living in perfect obedience. So what I want to continually lay before you is that you can't fix you. I can't fix me. You can't do enough. You can't obey enough. No matter how good you think you are, we will always fall short of God's holiness and his righteousness and his standard. That's why Jesus came. He lived the life that we couldn't live, and he died the death that we were supposed to die in our place. See, Jesus came to redeem you and me. He redeems us through his blood on the cross. The word redeem literally means to buy back and was used of slaves whose freedom was purchased. You see, sin makes us a slave. When we try to create our own standard of living, it doesn't go well for us. And what we think is freeing actually enslaves us more and leaves us actually feeling empty and full of shame and guilt. But Jesus paid the penalty for our sins to buy us back. The writer of Hebrews tells us in 9.22 that indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. See, we have forgiveness, which means we don't have to wallow in our guilt and shame because Jesus took our guilt and shame on the cross. That's the gospel. That's why Jesus came. God with us. Jesus here in the flesh. But that's not the end of the story. You see, Jesus came to earth with a purpose, and that purpose was to seek and to save that which was lost. 
He came to save sinners, which you and I are sinners. And Christmas is about hope and sharing that hope with those around us. And if you're here this morning and you've trusted in what Jesus has done for you on the cross, if you've admitted that you are a sinner, that you've fallen short of God's holiness, if you've repented of your sins and have trusted in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, if your life has been changed by Jesus, then our purpose is to share this hope, this gospel message with those around us. Our purpose is to be Jesus to our community and to our neighbors. I've asked Kaylin Smith to come up and share. Come on up here, Kaylin. Um, I just want you guys to listen to Kaylin's story a little bit here and uh, talk about being uh, Jesus to your community and showing your community Jesus. I want you to hear Kaylin's story. There should be a mic. Right here you go. You guys, you guys listen up here. First off, I just wanted to thank you all. Um, you'll see a few pictures scrolling. Um, these are of the backpacks that you guys donated. Um, they made it to Haiti in July. And the kids were so excited um, to get them. They were jumping up and down like, this is mine. Um, and then, I think, yes, Wiskin. He was really excited about his. Um, and I, I don't know if the guys got to see this, but I know that Lynette and my mom got to see the kids were, like, jumping up and down, and then some of them, I think Lynette told me this story, that someone here wrote a note, and they put it in um, their backpack, and the girl that got it, her name's Lovka, and she pulled it out, and she's been holding on to that note, like, it's a prized possession of hers. She's like, if you find Jessica, whoever Jessica is, you have, like, three children, and you gave it back to Lovka, she prays for you every night, and it's so neat because I know that the other kids do as well. Um, and so just thank you so much for that. Um, you really just spoke um, love and value into these kids, and so that was awesome. Um, the next few pictures are of what I do. I do brothel ministry, and so I know as I talk about it, it's kind of hard to kind of envision what it might look like. So this is the brothel. Um, and this is a picture of our Wednesday mornings. So every Wednesday morning around 10 a.m., we head down there. Um, to the brothel, there's about 25 women, um, and we gather around for Bible study, and this year we picked the book of John to go through um, because we asked the girls, what, did, what do you want to know? What do you want to know about God? And they're like, we don't know anything, so please just tell us something. And if you look at the book of John, it's um, the story of Jesus and the way that he went to others and the way that he went out and, and reached to his community, to the, to the marginalized in society. And so we thought that was a good book because here are the women who are marginalized in their society. And so we go every Wednesday and we just spend time um, getting to know the women and getting to love them and, and their kids because there's like 50 kids running around all the time too. And so um, it's just so neat because this brothel is in the worst part of town. So if you can envision, Haiti's recently named the poorest country in the world, not just the Western Hemisphere anymore. And now you're in the poorest zone of the poorest country and you're in the poorest area of the poorest zone of the poorest country. It gets pretty bad. Um, did you see it? I don't know. I did. Yeah, it's um, pretty rough. And there, it's right on the beach, and it's this barely standing building, if you can even call it that. And these women, all of their lives, um, they've never been told that they're loved, that they're valued, um, that anyone cares about them. And so really what we believe is um, God just called us to, to show them that they are valued in him. 
and that they do have a purpose. And so out of this Bible study um, came this need um, to get the women out. And what better way than empowering them, not just handing them something and letting them leave, but empowering them in a sense that they can feel honor and dignity in what they're doing and that they're working and making money in a way that's um, honoring and not um, embarrassing to their kids or to their families. And so we started this ministry where the women make jewelry. So every Tuesday and Friday they come to the mission and we do Bible study and discipleship with them and they make this jewelry. And while the jewelry is just really a way of teaching them, we could have picked any task, um, it's just a way of teaching them that they have worth. And if you think about it, what the jewelry is made of is cardboard boxes. A lot of times the cardboard boxes are seen as trash. These women are also seen as trash. And here they are, they're taking these cardboard boxes and they're making them into something beautiful. That speaks volumes to them too because in the same way that they're making these beads beautiful, God's making them. He's renewing them and he's restoring them. Um, And then this picture, I love this picture because um, last October, um, one of the girls passed away. Um, It was a pretty rough situation. Um, and she was killed, and so um, she was the one that um, we kind of, kind of actually brought us to the brothel and showed us where it was, um, and she's kind of the reason we started all the programs that we did start, and um, she started coming to church, and she was this really tough, like, you honestly were probably terrified, most people in town were terrified of her, um, she was like really rough around the edges, and then she started coming to church last Easter, and she just kept coming, and she kept coming. And we just watched as God really just softened her heart. And then slowly, um, she started changing. And we could see God moving in her. And not only that, we came to find out that God was moving in her family's lives all the way in Port-au-Prince, which is nine hours from where we are. And um, this picture is after she passed away, um, two of the girls from the brothel, they said, you know what? We see. We see that God's real. Uh, we see that God's real because we saw it in her life. And how could God take a a girl like that? And God made her new. And now we see that. We want that in our own lives. And it's just been neat because the women have now taken on. um, Christ calls us to go and to make disciples. And then when you make disciples, they go on and they make more disciples. And it's a ripple effect. And that's really what Christ um, has called us to in this sense is, you know, I'm only reaching a certain number of women. But then the reach that they have goes far beyond anything that any of us will ever know. Hey, Megan, you can go to the next one. Um, And then these two kids, um, they're just stories of how God God can redeem and he can restore. That little boy, um, his mom's been coming to Wednesday Bible study um, faithfully every week. I had typhoid in March, and I found out that she was leading Bible study because I was too sick to go. Um, How awesome is that? And um, she just has this awful story. Her parents passed away. She was too old to be put in an orphanage at that point. Um, nothing to do, and she's nothing to do, nowhere to go, no family. And this man approached her and said, I'll give you a good life. He brought, you know, he promised her the world, and at that age, she believed him. And so she was stuck in this situation, and um, out of it came her son, Sebastian. And I have known her for four years, and I never knew Sebastian existed, and he's seven. So um, he was never at the brothel like the other kids. He was never around. And then one day, I met him. And I asked her, you know, why don't, why have we never met this kid before? And she said, because I wanted to protect him. I wanted to keep his innocence from the things that I, I saw. And then um, she started coming to church every week, and she started leading 
We gave all of the women Bibles, actually. I think, Chester, I think you guys bought the Bibles. And um, so throughout the week, even when we weren't there, she was leading Bible study on the passage that we talked about on Wednesdays. And so um, we didn't see her for like three months, and I got really scared um, because that's usually not a good sign. Um, usually means they've been relocated or sold or something like that. Um, and so I got really nervous and just started praying, God, um, I know you're in control of the situation. And then in October, I got the knock on the door of my house, and it was her, and she was standing there. And I was like, what are you, like, you're alive, what are you doing? And she, she told me how she had traveled back to Port-au-Prince. She just really felt God was calling her, like, to leave. She knew she had to get out, and so she did. She took the first opportunity, and she left. And she went to Port-au-Prince, and while she was in Port-au-Prince, she got connected with this church, and she was honest with them about what her life was like. She was honest that she was a prostitute. Um, and they um, agreed to put her back into school, and she now is doing mentorship with middle school girls in Port-au-Prince and in empowering them and teaching them their worth so that way they don't end up in the same situation that she did. And then the other picture is a little girl named Abigail, um, and she is the daughter of a 14-year-old girl. Um, life kind of put them in a bad situation, and she ended up working in the brothel, and she was 14, pregnant, scared, out of her mind, and I've just watched God just um, grow her in incredible ways, and we named her Abigail because um, Gael in Hebrew means to redeem, and um, what a powerful way of watching God redeem this awful situation of a 14-year-old and a brothel pregnant, and just watching her grow, and she's back in school, and her daughter is the fattest baby I think I've ever seen, which is a beautiful thing. Um, and so it's just been so neat to watch God um, work in these women's lives. Um, and then I think it's neat because, as you already talked about, um, that's just where God's called me to go. Um, but for each of us, God's called us to go somewhere. He came down to us. And in that, he calls us to go to others too, not just to stay where we are. And I know a lot of times people are like, but I can't go abroad or I... That's not me. But God's not calling everyone to live abroad. God's not calling everyone into, I hate the word missionary, because that's what we're all called to. Um, God's calling each and every one of us to go and love our neighbors, whether that's your physical neighbor right next door, your neighbor at the elementary school, whatever it is. Um, like, I love that teachers get to do ministry all day, every day with their kids, and they don't even realize it so many times. And I think it's so neat um, in this season for us to remember that God's called us to go, and maybe we need to be seeking out what ways is God calling me to go. Maybe it's not to a brothel in Haiti, but maybe it's to um, an after-school program with kids who are underprivileged. Maybe it's to the women in my neighborhood. Maybe it's to my friends down the street. Um, whatever it might be, I feel like Christmas is a good time to remember that God, God came to us, and therefore we're supposed to go to others. So. Thank you. I loved what she said. <coughs> they saw God uh, working. Uh, they saw how God had worked in, in that woman's life. But, but Kaylin is exactly right. Uh, and that's, that's what I want us to understand this morning is, is that we don't have to go very far from our front door uh, to, to show people Jesus. And I would never ask you guys to, to do something that, that I'm not willing to do. And, and 
I know I've got a neighbor right beside me who has experienced, uh, just recently experienced a divorce. And uh, I've known him since we've lived there, uh, six and a half years. He's come over to my house. We've watched Laker games because he's a big Laker fan. And we've watched Laker games, and we've had conversations. And I know that he's going through a tough situation. And, and we've talked about that, and I've invited him to church. He's been a couple times. But the point is, man, just being there, just loving on him, encouraging him. And that's what it's about. I've got neighbors that are diagonally from me, and I've gone over and I've stood in their kitchen, kitchen, kitchen uh, door there, and I've talked to them about coming to church, and, and I hear, you know, we grew up in church, and it was all about this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, man, I'm so sorry. But I see them out. They've got a, they've got a, a, a son that's a senior in high school, and, and I just, uh, just love on them and pray for them. And we do... Uh, every year we do uh, kind of a neighborhood uh, national night out. I think you guys know what that is. And it's so much fun to just go down to the cul-de-sac and to mingle with our neighbors and to talk and to fellowship and to share stories and to just to be able to serve and to love on and to show people Jesus. Also, I have an opportunity, and several of, of folks in here have an opportunity to mentor at Harrogate Elementary School. And that's so much fun, is it not? I see several of you in here now, and my, my little kid, Jari, uh, I've had since he was in kindergarten, first grade, and it's given me the opportunity to not only build a relationship with him, but also with his mom, who's a single mom, and I've sat in her living room, and she's dropped F-bombs in front of me, and cussed, and, and, and that's cool, man, I'm, I'm fine with that, like, it's not, I mean, she knows I'm a pastor, she knows, but I, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I, but I've had the opportunity to pray with her. I've had the opportunity to share the gospel with her. And just keep loving on her, man, and encouraging her. And that's really what it's about. That's really, really what it's about. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. This message of the gospel is so important that Jesus gave it to us to share with others. See, we have been redeemed for a purpose. God with us, Jesus in the flesh, is the best gift ever. God with us was Jesus here in the flesh, making a way for us to be restored back to God the Father. And now that Jesus' work is done on the cross, God with us is the gift of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. How awesome is that? That God lives in us. And he gives us the strength and the power to share this great story with others. It's not just you doing it. Don't sit there and think, oh my gosh, it's up to me. It's the spirit living in you. It is God living in you. And listen, God can use whatever comes out of your mouth. Man, if you think, what if I mess this up or what if I say the wrong thing? That's all right. I've said plenty of stupid things before. But that's all right, man. God can use it. God can use it. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11, 13 says this. This is read at the beginning of the service. It says, In him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, 
so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, here it is, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Listen, if you've trusted in Jesus and surrendered your life to Him, you have the Holy Spirit, you have God in you. Man, empowers us to tell the story of redemption and love to others. The Holy Spirit is that, that renewing presence that says, choose what is good and right and true. He is that, that tug towards self-sacrifice for the good of others. He is that challenge to boldly tell someone how Jesus has changed your life. And that's the hope of the Christmas story. We're going to uh, spend time in uh, taking communion. And if you guys want to go ahead and get that ready. I thought it would be fitting uh, for us to, to do communion at the end of the sermon today because if you think about it, the incarnation is, is God coming to us in flesh, Jesus Christ. And what we do every Sunday, this bread that we take and this juice that we drink is all about the incarnation, Right? It's all about Jesus here in the flesh. And the bread represents his body that was broken on the cross for you and me, and his blood, his juice represents the blood that was shed to cover over our sins. And I'm going to pray for us, and the band is going to play some music. And I want you to just think about that, the, 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 how amazing God is and what he went through to redeem us how he has empowered us to tell this great story. As the men will come forward here in just a second and pass the, the bread and the juice out. Father, we just thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your mercy. And we just pray, God, that during this time we would uh, just reflect upon that, uh, that we would remember the sacrifice that you made for us and what you went through uh, to redeem us. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.